Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here and it's such a joy to be with you all this morning as we go to God. My prayer for you today is that you find hope, that you connect with Jesus and that you connect with someone else. As you came in today, I hope you all received a bulletin and inside that bulletin there's a list of announcements and things that are happening in the life of the church. If you're on, online and joining us this morning, I want to draw your attention to our website that has much of this information and things that are happening. Today, I want to share that we're in the midst of our second week on our new message series called Money Talks, where we're examining the lies that money tries to tell you about, about who you are, about your worth, and then also looking for God's truth to be revealed in that. And so I'm continuing to pray with you as we continue on this journey. And then as a follow-up in just a, a few weeks at the end of February, as a follow-up to this message series, we're launching a Financial Peace University class on February 26th. And so if you, you or someone you know is interested in, in taking financial peace, uh, this is a great opportunity to, to look at your finances and see some biblical wisdom there on how to grow closer to God as you, as you make sense of your financial state. That's starting on February 26th, and registration information is live on the website as of this morning. So if you know somebody in your life that might be interested, send them to the website, kernchurch.org, or if you yourself might be interested, this is a great opportunity to get connected with God and get connected with others who are, who are searching for God's uh, financial freedom in their life. Also want to share that this week, our youth group, you might notice some folks missing uh, from, from worship if you're here in person. Our youth group is, uh, at, is in Pigeon Forge at Resurrection. Resurrection is a three-day event that happens each and every year where, where youth from across the southeast, uh, southeast really descend upon Pigeon Forge. They experience the, the, the truth of God in their life. They're able to worship and grow with one another it's been a joy for me as a pastor to see pictures of our youth group, to see pictures of other youth groups and colleagues that I know from all around the region that are, that are there, that are experiencing goodness. And, and today, uh, they are, they're going for their final session this, this morning, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be experiencing Holy Communion together, and I just know that God has been in their midst. And so, I, I want to thank you for those of you that have been praying, and I want to ask that if you haven't been praying, just pray for them uh, this day, because I'll tell you what, God is up to something good, and I can't wait to hear some of the reports coming from them and, um, and, and everything. It's, it is truly a blessing that they're together. I was able to send them off on Friday with prayer, and I'll just tell you, they were excited. The leaders were excited and apprehensive because they know how little sleep they're going to get over the, the week, but I uh, just continue to pray God's blessing upon them. Well, right now, I want to open us up in, in prayer as we go to God and worship. Loving one, thank you so much for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that promises to bring blessings of hopes and dreams and possibilities. Thank you for our young people who are, who are in Pigeon Fords this weekend. And I pray, oh God, that, that as you descend upon Kern Church in this place of worship, that you will bless our young people this morning as they descend upon uh, uh, Pigeon Forge and Leconte Center as your Holy Spirit is manifest there. May your, your Spirit do powerful things in their lives today. And as they come back today, O oh God, I ask you also to give them travel mercies so that we can receive them and celebrate what God has done and what you are doing in their lives. We give this all to you as we worship you this day, Almighty God. Amen.
as a church, we are all called to, to play a part in the ministry of God. In fact, one of the things that I love about being United Methodist is that we say by our baptism, all are called into ministry and called to serve the work of Christ. Each member of the United Methodist Church is called to be a servant of Christ on a mission in the local church and in the worldwide community, a mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And additionally, each year we elect, we nominate and elect a certain individuals who, who we feel and they feel are called to help lead in ministry for, for that given year. And so this morning, what I want us to do in worship, if you're online or if you're here, is to lift up a prayer for those in our midst that have agreed to be part of our servant leadership teams here at Kern Church. And if you are one on one of these teams, I want to invite you to come forward, um, if you can at this time. And um, that includes you too, brother. <laughs> um, come, come on forward. And you can, in your bulletin, there's a list of there's a list of, of these servant, uh, servant leaders and also a prayer that we're going to lift up and, and lift these individuals up in prayer. And uh, this, this list is not actually... Y'all come over this way so we can see, so you can be seen on the camera. And um, I know, I know, we're, not, we're try, not trying to break cameras this morning, but I uh, want, want people at home to be able to, to pray for you and to pray with you. I want to invite you to take this, take this list of leaders home with you, to keep it with you. It's always available at the church. And then there's a prayer on the back that we're going to pray this morning for these individuals and for the life of our church. And I just invite you to pray this. If you're joining with us online, this is not yet on the website in this form, but it will be on the website, uh, it will be on the website this week. Let us, uh, let us pray, pray together. Lord, we pray for these who have accepted your calling to lead your church at Kern. Release the resurrection power of your Holy Spirit to break through and bring miracles of new hopes, dreams, and possibilities for our church and in their lives. Grant to them and to all of us your boldness to follow Jesus into your new and unknown future. May your spirit come and may your will be done. Amen. I just want you to know that it is a joy to be in ministry with you all this morning and with you all throughout this year. I look forward to the miracles that God is doing in our midst, and I thank you for your partnership in that leadership. Amen. Amen. I also want to share, uh, dear ones, this past week I was, I was visiting with one of our homebound families. They actually may be joining us this morning. And um, they, they're a family that usually participates in our, our traditional service when they were able to be there. And this over Christmas, we were able to live stream from, our, from the traditional service at, on Christmas Eve and on Christmas morning. And I want to share what they, they told me as we, were, as we were gathering together around their, in their home this week. They said, you know, Will, it just seemed like we were really at church, that we were really there and to me, it spoke of the volumes of the work that our tech team does, the work that we, we do, and, and it's kind of a, they do in kind of a humble way to, to help share the message of God from Kern Church to the world, to those of our own membership who aren't able to participate or, or those that may be joining us from different places. We don't always know where folks, have, folks are when they're joining with us, but it's been pretty neat to hear some of the reports 
from our online worship service, our live stream of how this has grown over the past several months and in kind of multiple ways. And, and, and I am so thankful for the work that they're doing. And I want you to know that if this is something that interests you, there's always a great way for you to plug in to learn how to, how to help make this possible, even uh, whether it's now or whether it's at a different time of the week or even a different service. But uh, talk to Chris. Uh, talk to Chris, and, and uh, since he's up here, you can see him. Even if you're online and, and you want to help out, you can uh, reach out to us through a message, and we can, we can help find you a way to get connected to, to, help, to help cultivate relationships so that, so that more and more people can feel that if, even if they're not able to be in person for worship, for whatever reason, they can say, you know what, I really felt the presence of God. I really felt God moving in our hearts. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your investment in ministry that you've made to do this. You can always give online to support ministry like this at kernchurch.org. And you can also give in person. And I just pray that as we do this, God is blessed, that you are blessed, and that all those who, who receive the ministries of the church through our tech team and otherwise, that they receive the presence of God this day. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to come to your presence to receive the stream of your life-giving spirit. Thank you for this time. May you open each of our hearts, the hearts of all who listen over the next few moments, that as we look to your scriptures, as we seek your advice and favor in our lives, the lives of each who hear, that that hearts will be open and that we will have the ears to hear, that all will have the ears to hear your spirit talking to them through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, it's uh, not often that a day goes by that there isn't a, a news story or a social media post that discusses the, the price of things. When gas prices were up so high this past year, I mean, that's what people were focused on. That's what I was focused on. And now, uh, since gas has gone down, come down just a bit, I give thanks for that. But I also know that I've continued to watch my grocery bills increase over the past, uh, past several months as well. The cost of groceries is a common refrain these days. The cost of eggs, I talked about that last week if you were here. The cost of eggs, of course, as well as part of that. While grocery prices have gone up, I have to tell you that one of the, one of the small miracles or some of the small joys that I've experienced over the last several months has been that you can find sales on meat again. At, at, at the height of the pandemic, when things were especially scarce, there weren't any sales to be fine, but you can find sales on meat again. The absolute best sale that I've gotten recently were $6 a pound prime rib roast. I mean, like, that is the sale of a lifetime. That's almost, I mean, like, that's almost the cost of, of regular priced ground beef, right? $6 a pound. And I remember seeing this, and I knew that, that around the holidays you can get rib roast, uh, you know, ribeye roast on sale. And so I kept watching and waiting, and Publix was the first to come out with the, with the master sale of $6 a pound. 
And, and so I filled my freezer as much as I could. I got the, the knives sharpened, the, the vacuum sealer going, and I've got, uh, I had a, my freezer went from empty to full. And then Kroger had the same sale, and I couldn't let that one go to waste either. And I bought even more, um, and, and, and I sealed even more and even cooked some. In a matter of a month, my, my freezer went from basically empty to I don't think I can fit anything else in this thing. I mean, 99 cent pound per turkey. Yeah, the thumbs up. 99 cents a pound for turkey. 99 cents uh, chicken wings. 99 cents a pound for pork loin. $4 a pound for lamb chops. And $6 a pound for choice uh, ribeye roast. My, my freezer is full. Cooking and grilling is kind of my hobby, and so this was like the best Christmas present I could get for myself. And since I have to cook for the rest of my family, um, they have to eat as well. Uh, they uh, hopefully are blessed in the midst of this too. As I was loading up from these meat cells, it, it became pretty apparent to me that all of these savings were costing me quite a bit of money. I mean, you, my, my mom used to come home from shopping or whatever and, and talk about the money that she saved our family. And it was always funny, when you save money, you have spent money. And I don't know, I mean, for groceries, I guess you're going to buy groceries anyways. Um, but the, while the cost per pound on all of this meat was incredibly low, the overall price, of course, was not insignificant. But now that means the only things I really need to buy are fresh vegetables, milk and cheese, and, you know, the kind of the things that, that are perishable on a week-to-week -week basis. So in theory, this should help my grocery bill for a while, but we'll see what other meat sales I can get myself into over the next few weeks. You know, I've never been one that, that, really, that really has collected things or, or really had any collections, but right now I think it's safe to say that I have a meat collection and um, I'm glad I don't have a larger freezer because I would have a larger collection. I share all this because today we are in the second week of our message series on, called Money Talks. Our second week where this message series is designed to help you listen and to uncover the lies that money tries to tell you, tries to tell you and tries to tell those around you and to help you discover God's message for financial freedom in your life. Last week, we discovered that one of the lies that money tries to tell you is chase me, chase me, chase me. But God's money, God's message for financial freedom says, don't chase me. God's heart for you in finances is not to chase money, but to earn it through purposeful, through purposeful work. And today I want to help you uncover the second lie that money tries to tell you, and it is hoard me, hoard me. Money tries to tell you, chase me, chase me, chase me. And the thing about it, once you chase it, then you have to hoard it because it could disappear, it could, it could go away. And so you do all you can to chase money as much as possible, and then you have to hoard it to take care of yourself. And this is the lie that money tries to tell you. Do all you can to get as much as possible of me as you can, and then you will be fulfilled and you will be happy. I mean, this is the lie that we're told. The problem is, is that money has this other lie. And it says that as you continue to chase me, you will, you will, you will also feel the need to hoard me, to keep me to yourself. Money will tell you, keep me for only yourself. 
Get as much of me as possible and don't share it. I mean, this is the lie that money famously told or infamously told Ebenezer Scrooge, right? You know, chase me, hoard me, chase me, hoard me. These messages that the world's money tries to tell you, these are lies. Chasing money and hoarding money, they will never satisfy. They will never fill your heart. In fact, if you pursue these lies, if you walk after these lies, they will end up destroying you and destroying all the relationships that, you, that are important in your life. Trying to fill your life with things that are ultimately temporary will steal all that you are and all that you care about. To uncover how dangerous this is, I want to share with you what Jesus had to say about the lie of money telling you to hoard you find this in, in Matthew's gospel. So Matthew's writing about Jesus and about the life and ministry of Jesus. So if you have a Bible and want to turn to this, this is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, where Jesus, where Jesus taught, Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourself in heaven, where moth and rust won't eat them, and where thieves won't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you collect and, and hoard your things, you have to build bigger barns, rent larger storage units, and, and do all the things that you have to do to collect your stuff. Dig deeper basements, perhaps, but it's never, it's never going to be enough. I can't tell you the, the number of times I've talked to somebody. I said, well, when I moved on this property, I had all these extra buildings, and they were empty, and now they're all full, and I don't even know what's in them. Because the temporary things of this world can always be consumed by corruption. I mean, moth and rust, mold and fire. On top of this, Thieves can break in and steal what you have. This is true of your physical possessions, but it's also, it's also true financially. This is especially, was especially evident in the financial crisis of 2008 when so many saw nearly everything they had, everything they perhaps had worked their lives to build, completely disappear. In thinking about the ultimate example of hoarding, I can't get from my mind the, the image of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Now, I have to tell you, I hesitate to share this example because some of you are like, okay, now the preacher's talking about Lord of the Rings. I don't even know what that is. Um, or, or perhaps some of you are like really excited about this because you nerd out on, on like uh, Lord of the Rings stuff and, and you love the books and the movies. I um, have to tell you that have to confess that I have never read the books, and I fell asleep when I was watching the movies, okay? So this is kind of my life uh, when it relates to Lord of the Rings. So I get in trouble from people that don't know what it is and from people that love it. So that's just equal opportunity to offend everybody. But the one thing that I do remember is this image of Gollum from the movie, and I'm sure that I will get just about everything wrong in the story, so you, know, you can correct me after, after worship. But in the opening of the movie, Return of the King, I don't even know which one this is in the series, okay? But when the opening of the movie of the Return of the King, there were two cousins who were fishing on a boat. This is like normal activity. You're out fishing with your cousin and you're having a great time. And then accidentally, they come across this magical ring. And the pull of the ring is intoxicating. 
The, the musical store, score starts to, starts to lift this up and to, the, the suspense starts to build. And, and in this ring, you see, it tells those who, who possess it, it tells those who have it that they can possess the ring. And if you possess the ring, everything will be great in your life. The ring, when you have it, you will get power and prestige and everything that matters. Ominous music contends to ensue Drum beats start in the background. Smeagol, who will become Gollum, uh, tells his cousin, this is one of the cousins that's fishing, he tells his cousin who's holding the ring, he says, because it's my birthday, I want it. Because it's my birthday, give me this ring. And then a fight ensues between the two. The drumming grows louder, and Smeagol gets his cousin on the ground. It ends up killing him and taking the ring. Chase me, chase me, chase me. Hoard me, possess me. It's the allure, the ring that speaks to him, that calls to him to pick up the ring. And then as he picks it up, the famous line that I remember, and perhaps you have heard, is my precious. My precious. And then the rest of his life, it's an ordinary person, ordinary hobbit, I think, ordinary person living his life with his family. But then when he gets the ring, all of his life becomes about protecting it. Protecting my precious. All of his relationships cease. He turns into a shell of his former self, tormented by the voice of the ring. Hoard me, hoard me, hoard me. Protect me, protect me, protect me. He wept because he was so alone. He had driven everyone else away. He could do nothing except hoard the ring and protect the ring the possession that became the most important thing to his life. So much so that he would say, he forgot the taste of bread. Forgot the taste of bread. The sound of the trees. The softness of the wind. We even forgot our own name. My precious. He thought perhaps that he possessed the ring. In reality, the ring possessed him, took everything from him, his life, the taste of goodness on his palate, the ability to appreciate the softness of the wind, even took from him his own name. That's how it is with the lies of money. Jesus says it's about your heart. It's about your heart. Remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, where thieves don't break in and steal them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The world's money speaks the same language that this ring spoke to Gollum. It says, hoard me, but God's money says something else. God's money says, save me. To be honest, there's not a lot in the Bible if you're looking for, for financial advice. There's not a lot in the Bible that talks about saving money. There's not a lot in the Bible that talks about saving resources. There's a lot of caution in the Bible about not saving too much or not hoarding too much. But there's not a lot that talks about prudent savings. There is, however, an incredibly powerful story towards the, the very beginning of the Bible that really, I think, speaks of the importance of saving and saving diligently. 
In fact, it tells us how, how God really views the power of saving and how God can, can use the power of saving to really not only save financially, but can help save lives and impact others. To, to, to make note of this, if you want to make note of this, I'm going to be looking at Genesis chapter 41. And I don't have the words for the screen because I'm going to be uh, uh, jumping around a bit to tell this story. But really, Genesis chapter 41 through really 47, you can read about this. This is a story of Joseph. Joseph. Now, Joseph's story is kind of a crazy story because Joseph uh, was the favorite child of his father. And if, his, if your parent is really conspicuous about picking a favorite child, it can turn out not so good, right? And so, and so Joseph ends up uh, being hated by his siblings, and um, they, they sold, them, sold Joseph into slavery and told their dad that he had been killed. Anyways, um, that's kind of extreme sibling rivalry, right? But, uh, but Joseph finds himself, after many years, in prison in a foreign land in Egypt. And word gets around that Joseph is kind of a special and an odd figure because he can interpret dreams. He's got the power and the ability to be able to interpret dreams. And so the, the emperor of Egypt, Pharaoh, calls upon Joseph to interpret a dream. Now, he's been having this odd dream for, for some time, but nobody is able to interpret the dream. I have to really confess, I don't think it's that nobody was able to interpret the dream. It was probably nobody was willing to interpret the dream, right? Because he knew that if they gave the Pharaoh bad news, it could you know, end their life or end their ability, and they could end up in a bad place. But Joseph had nothing left to lose, and so Joseph is called upon to, to interpret this dream to Pharaoh. This is what he says in uh, chapter 41, beginning in verse 28. It's just as I, I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are now coming throughout the entire land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will appear, and all of the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. No one will remember the abundance in the land because the famine that follows it will be so very severe. The dream occurred to Pharaoh twice because God has determined to do it and God will make it happen. So Joseph tells Pharaoh that, that things are about to be really good, that there's going to be a few years of abundance. The economy is going to be rocking. I mean, we're talking full Full employment, low inflation, low interest rates. Like, we're talking, we're talking this is a good time to make money, to, to enjoy life. It's going to be great. But then, after a few years of abundance, after a few years of things going really well, there's going to be a crash. And the crash is going to be so bad that nobody will be able to remember the good days. Nobody will be able to recall how good things have been for so long. So Joseph follows up and, and about this dream and tells Pharaoh, beginning in verse 33, Now Pharaoh, this is his advice after the dream, Now Pharaoh, you should find an intelligent, wise man and give him authority over the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint ministers over the land and take one-fifth of all the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. During the good years that are coming... They should collect all such food and store the grain under Pharaoh's control, protecting the food in the cities. This food will be reserved for the seven years of famine to follow in the land of Egypt, so that the land won't be ravaged by the famine. So the Lord spoke to Joseph of a plan. 
The Lord gave Joseph a plan, and Joseph was able to tell Pharaoh that the key to survival, the key to survival for the entire kingdom was to save when the days were good. This meant that when things were rocking, it was time to make wise investments. Don't just blow all your money on new cars and, 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 and flat screen TVs or, or, or the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian equivalent of whatever that would be. Save. Get ready. Get ready for when days will not be so good, for when days will be tough. So Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of this operation, and he begins to lead the kingdom in a program of saving. We learn that in verse 53, that the seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end. They had done this. They had, they had invested wisely. They had saved wisely. And then the seven years of abundance came to an end. And the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. The famine struck every country. But the entire land of Egypt had bread. When the famine ravaged the entire land of Egypt and the people pleaded to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said to, to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Do whatever he tells you. The famine covered every part of the land, and Joseph opened up all the granaries and sold the grain to the Egyptians. In the land of Egypt, the famine had become more and more severe, and every country came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because in every country, the famine had become more severe. So not just the Egyptians, but all the other nations of the land, every country was saved because Joseph listened to God. Every country was saved because Joseph listened to God and led the entire nation in a campaign of saving, of putting away for a difficult day. You notice, Joseph didn't hoard the grain, right? Joseph didn't hoard the grain. He could have been tempted to say, no, this is mine. This is mine, and I'm going to extort you and, and make you pay high fees to be able to get it in your household. On top of this, he could have said, you know, this is mine, and I'm not going to let any other nation have it. Just going to enrich myself and those around me. This is mine. But that's not what happened. You see, Joseph, because Joseph had listened to God and helped the nation save, they were able to help others when things got tight. They saved, but they didn't hold on to what they saved too closely because they knew it was only temporary. Last week, I shared about the founder of the Methodist movement, a guy by the name of John Wesley, who, who, who gave some advice and really some teaching on how, how Christians should use and consider money. He said famously, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. You know, saving is really at the heart of what God wants for your relationship with money, with finances. Here's some practical principles that Wesley, that Wesley gives that might be helpful for you in saving as Joseph saved. He said, don't waste any part, part of what you save, by gratifying the desires of the flesh and procuring, procuring the pleasures of sense of whatever kind, particularly enlarging the pleasure of tasting. Now, as one who loves to cook, and spent the last month and a half filling my, my freezer with, with things to cook, this one kind of, you know, uh, cuts close to home. You know, maybe I, I shouldn't have had a diverse portfolio in my freezer to draw upon. Maybe I, I should have been more, more, um, more ordinary or plain and, 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 and saving 
when it comes to food. But more than finding good deals on meat, this, this advice from Wesley about enlarging the pleasure of tasting brings to my mind, and perhaps you've seen this, uh, images on, on, on Instagram and videos of, of, of food that is covered in gold leaf. I mean, this is a, this is a trend right now not a trend in my life, but it's a trend that, that you have these giant steaks that are sold by these famous celebrity chefs that are then covered in gold leaf. Now, I have never eaten gold leaf, okay? But I assume it's kind of tasteless, and I assume also that it has no, no nutritional value, and I have been told that it kind of passes from one end to the other, and um, my kids could dig into that and, and really have fun with that, I'm sure. But but, but like, there's no nutritional value there. Instead, it's just this ridiculous trend, at least online, of huge steaks covered in gold leaf that are then sold for thousands and thousands of dollars for vanity's sake, perhaps. And maybe you've had a steak covered in gold leaf and it's the best thing you ever had, and I can't tell you otherwise, but I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing this. And then, so just don't, don't waste seeking the gratification of the senses. Another Another advice, he says, as it relates to saving, is do not waste in, in gratifying the desire of the eye by superfluous or expensive apparel or by needless ornament. Waste no part of it on curiously adorning your houses in superfluous or expensive furniture and costly pictures, painting, gilding books, or in an elegant rather than a useful garden. Perhaps this one hits close to home as well. Then the one I think speaks to the heart of it all, that he gives instructions to lay out nothing, save nothing to gratify the pride of life. Save nothing to gratify the pride of life to gain the admiration or praise of other men. And this guidance perhaps, perhaps teaches that the, the importance of saving like Joseph but it also cautions that the line between saving and the line between hoarding, it may be small. You may have to seek guidance on what that line is in your life. The lies that money tell you, tries to tell you, they are so very strong and they are so very tempting, as you find in Joseph and in the teaching of Jesus about saving and keeping your heart to God, is, is that the key to all this. The key to every level of finances and in your life is to surrender your heart and your life to God first, first. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So when you make in this act of surrender, you find yourself really in God. Surrender is this ongoing process of, of letting go of control and, and of giving it all to God. It's taking a look at your heart and your finances and, and saying, you know, all my anxieties, all my fears, and all my worries, I give them to you, God. I surrender them to you because it's true that, that it's probably true that whatever you worry about or have anxiety about, these are things that you're actually really worshiping in your life. You're spending too much time worshiping in your life. So instead, giving it to God, surrendering it to God. Now, it may seem selfish to pray for your finances, but it's not. Praying about your finances, it's, it's not a small thing. But it's part of surrendering and realizing the importance of saving. Look at your life. What are you worrying about? Are you worshiping that thing? I mean, this one, it, it cuts close to home for me. With, with four kids, I find that I, I worry about money too, 
too much, too often. I worry about money too often and finances too much in my life. I, I really need to stop and to surrender this worry. I mean, I have everything that I need provided for me. I have more than enough. I have a freezer full of meat. I, I mean, like I have the things that I need. My family is cared for, but yet I tend to worry. I have concern and frustration here. This realization is one of the reasons that I signed up for Financial Peace University. My family doesn't really have a, a lot of debt, but I have more worry about finances than I should. So this week, I, I'm starting a Financial Peace University class that was, that was designed just for pastors. And so I'm going to be with other pastors in a group call, cohort with our spouses, and we're going to be learning some of the things that, that is taught about financial peace and, and how, to, how to have financial peace in our life. And much of this material, you know, it's not new to me. Perhaps some of the material won't apply to me, and I, I'm sure that I'll probably disagree with some of the material as well. But I see it as a step in my life that I can take, that I can take in surrendering my own worries and my own anxieties about saving over to God. And, and maybe you find yourself in a similar position. And if you do, I want to invite you to consider joining Financial Peace University at Kern Church. It's coming up in just a few weeks starting at the end of this message series in February. And you can go to the website today to find more information, kernchurch.org slash money, and you can find information about this. But, but, but really, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, don't let the lies of money control you. Don't let the lies of money control you. Don't, let, don't try to hoard resources for yourself where, where moth and rust and, and thieves can break in and destroy. Instead, surrender. Surrender to God's kingdom. Save with your heart tuned to God. And when your heart belongs to God, when your heart really belongs to God, watch what God will do in you and watch what God will do through you. And so this week, I've given you another spiritual fruit inventory and breakthrough prayer about your finances. So if you're here in person, inside your bulletin, there's a blue insert. And I invite you to take one of these as you leave today. It says, Week 2 Reflection Guide. And it's a spiritual fruit inventory to look at the fruit of the Spirit that, that can help you, you, you examine your heart and how your heart is lining up with God and God's desire for money in your life. There's also a daily breakthrough prayer about your finances that you can find on the reverse side. This is also available on our website at kernchurch.org money. And you can, you can download this to have this on your device, whatever the case may be. But today, people of God, Today, dear ones, I want to pray for you. I want to pray this prayer of breakthrough for you and with you. And ask God to, to reform your heart. Ask God to bring you close to the Almighty. Ask God to bring your heart so close to God's own heart that your worry, that your anxiety will disappear and that you will save and invest wisely. As did Joseph, as Jesus taught. And as Wesley taught, if you want to pray this prayer with me, it's on the reverse side of your blue insert. And there's a, a part of confession in this prayer with a line and then just to fill in your own thing you need to confess. And so we'll just pause there for a moment if you want to pray this with me this morning. God, release the resurrection power of your Holy Spirit to break into my life so that I may surrender my finances my life, and my heart to you. Too often I have held back and been unwilling to surrender everything to you. 
I confess that I have yet to surrender to you. And as scary as it seems, I surrender all to you. Take the financial fears and anxieties of tomorrow and replace them with the boldness I need to follow Jesus into your new and unknown future. Help me where doubt and fear linger. May your spirit come and may your will be done. Amen. Dear ones, I invite you to take this with you this week. I invite you to reflect on these, this inventory each and every day to see how God's, God's Spirit is alive and working in you. And I invite you to pray this prayer continually, asking God, asking God to take all from you, surrendering your heart and your life to the one who cares for you more than you could ever imagine. Amen. May this be your life. May you follow God, the one who wants your heart, the one who wants your very life. And may, after following God, you be filled with the peace and love of God. I invite you to, to share this good news with others. Oh, dear ones, may you go in the blessing love of God and may your life be filled with hope and peace this very day. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.